calendar house a salute to all holiday specials but mostly the christmas ones it's a beautiful day for a podcast and i am very excited for this whole season and especially for today's episode which i've been waiting to talk about for a long time so let's make the most of this beautiful day by hopping a trolley back to 1977 to spend christmas time with mr rogers I am self-aware interfaith transport vehicle Mike Westfall. Almost didn't get that one out. And joining me is a pyramid of dancing chickens that magically transformed into an Easter egg tree. It's Guy Hutchinson. Welcome back, Guy. Hey, I get top billing. I'm so happy to be here. This is my favorite podcast. This is the only one I do. I want you to know this. I've been asked to be on big shows recently, and I said no, but I say yes only to you, which is really true. Thank you, Guy. This is my favorite show. This is my number one favorite podcast on the internet. So happy to have you on for this one. Also very thrilled to have mysterious, disappearing, reappearing master of gravity. Please welcome Tim Leibarger from the Neighborhood Archive. Hi, Tim. Hi, thanks for having me on tonight. This is great. I'm I'm excited to talk about this. Oh, I'm sure. So I looked back. At my first tweet from six years ago now asking, hey, if I did a podcast about Christmas specials, uh, does anyone have any requests? And Tim, you were the first one to request something, and it was this special. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) So thank you for your patience. The reason I waited until now to cover this was because I wanted to wait until it was more widely available to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I think prior to like a year ago, Tim was the only person alive that had seen this. <laughs> there, were, there were a few others out there, but yeah, there weren't many. No, but it, it magically appeared last year on MrRogers.org for all to see and enjoy. And it is still there now. I checked. If you want to watch this for yourself, you absolutely should. Mm-hmm. And some people have copied it. The lost media people have re-uploaded it to YouTube as well. So you can you can check it out on there. Yeah. First thing I did when I saw it on there, and I did my best to kind of grab a copy and download it myself just so I would have it in case it was a seasonal thing and it it decided to go away because I wanted to keep this one. Mm -hmm. But Tim, tell me your history with this particular special. Did you watch this as a kid or did you discover it later? Oh, I I definitely discovered it later. Um, This came out in in 77. So I I would have been one year old at the time, about a year and a half when this uh, would have initially aired. So I didn't catch it the first time around. Um, And just years later in uh, just involvement with researching Mr. Rogers neighborhood, just over time discovered this was kind of the Holy Grail or one of those Holy (laughs) Grails that are out there where it seemed like um, as the neighborhood archive site grew, there were a few topics that just continually I was asked about more often than anything else. And this was one of them. I had a lot of people asking about this Christmas special and I unfortunately didn't have any information for him because I hadn't seen it either. 
And then just through uh, my partnership with uh, the, the Fred Rogers Company, um, they were gracious enough to share a copy with me just to document on the website. Um, but unfortunately, through just through that agreement and that partnership, I'm not able to share anything through audio and, and video format. And so people were kind of teased a little bit with some screenshots and a, and a lengthy description. And that's where I had to leave it at the time until they they put it out there for the public last year. Okay, that explains a lot, actually. But I, I definitely understood that. And that's why I kind of wanted to wait to see, will this be released for, for everyone to enjoy instead of just talking about it? Because I didn't want to kind of tease people. I want people to enjoy what we're talking about. Right. Guy, had you seen this before last year? So I had not. Now, Tim, uh, I, I've known about uh, the agreement. I've been friends with Tim and Tim, I would never ask him to share anything with me. And I know he wouldn't. Right. Uh, but we did have a long phone call to discuss this after he saw it, because I was like, you got to got to at least tell me what it was like. And we talked about it. You had done a long review and we talked about what it was like. Um, and then uh, some major website did a review of it where all they happened to have were stills from Tim's website. Uh, implying that no one at that website had access to it either. Um, and so I think Tim was was very alone on the island of people that had seen it until very recently. Uh, but once I had read the description on Tim's website, it I would say it, it kind of um, lowered my expectations for it because it is not, it doesn't feel like a very traditional Christmas special. Uh, for that, I would actually say the Mr. Rogers episode where he gets the Santa Claus suit is more Christmassy uh, if you're looking for something outright Christmassy, even though I think that's not even a episode that aired at Christmas time. Right. Oh, it didn't? Yeah. <laughs> I have like faint memories of that, and maybe we'll return to that one. But... Ooh, we should all do that in 10 years. In 10 years. All right. <laughs> I'll probably still be doing this. But I, of course, had never seen this until last year. So as we mentioned, Christmas time with Mr. Rogers, I have an exact date that I dug up. It says it premiered December 20th, 1977 as an hour long primetime special. That mm -hmm. was one of several primetime specials the show did over a few years during a hiatus period of the show. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and from what I've read, this Christmas special would re-air every year until 1982, and then after that, it sort of became a white whale for a lot of people who seek out lost media, so I'm very happy it's out there right now. The hiatus is interesting, and I know Tim could speak upon this, but uh, Fred Rogers was a very wealthy man, and he had chosen to take a hiatus so he could make his show better, which is really unusual. The concept of somebody being able to do that is certainly when when that's the kind of show you're hosting, when you're not, uh, it's not like Tom Cruise saying he's taking some time off. So let's dive into this special then, which opens very differently from your usual episode. No pan over a model of the neighborhood instead. We join Mr. Rogers actually walking through a real neighborhood, and I'm assuming this was taped in or near Pittsburgh. I believe so. If and if I remember right, I, I should have looked at this ahead of time. But if I if I remember right, as he's walking through the neighborhood at the beginning, it's very clearly not Christmas time. No, nope. um, it's a very warm season from uh, just the, the surroundings on the street. Oh, yeah. Looks like a beautiful summer day in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what the weather was like actually when this aired. So I looked up the weather in Pittsburgh in an Almanac website on December 20th, 1977, and it rained. Hmm. 
A light freezing rain, to be exact, eventually turning to snow flurries later that night, so considerably colder than what we're seeing here in this intro. And the slate does show that the the special was recorded in early or mid November of seventy seven. But oh, I'm wow. wondering if that was more um, if that was more just the content of the episode more so than the the intro part on location or something like that. I don't know. It just seems it seems very warm. Maybe it was a warm November day in the neighborhood. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't live in Pittsburgh, but I live you know out a few hours from there. But on the East Coast here, it tends to get the the snow and the cold tends to come closer to like January, February. Mm-hmm. I mean, we often have had uh, uh, December, you know, Christmases where I've been outside, you know, with a t shirt and you know, a pair of jeans. It's not. It does tend to. We tend to have frequently warm Christmases sometimes. Yeah, it's not unheard of. I do remember a few. I remember one New Year's Day and and it uh in Philadelphia where it was I was out in shorts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But the only thing really Christmassy about this intro is the title on the screen, mm-hmm. and then we get an instrumental version of Won't You Be My Neighbor that has some added flourishes like jingle bells and We Wish You a Merry Christmas, a couple of bars of that mixed in. But that's really it. Now, he does meet Mr. McFeely on the street who who offers him a gift, um, and he tells him not to open it until he gets back to the house. And so there's there's a little bit of, of Christmas there besides the music, but not not a whole lot. Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah, he does stop and get the gift there. He gets the gift right in front of the second floor leather shop, which I, <laughs> I was interested in finding out more about. It's upstairs. Yeah. And Tim, I saw you had an interesting note about that scene, that this was one of the few times we see those two shake hands on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was there was I, I can't remember exactly what it was on. There was a documentary or I don't know if it was uh, an interview that was done once where it was claimed that the only time Mr. McFeely and Mr. Rogers ever shook hands on camera was on the last episode. And that was this this symbolism some of some sort that, you know, things were coming to an end and it was a thank you. Um, but I guess maybe that comment was made, you know, for the, the general public and not somebody who went back through and watched a thousand episodes of Mr. Rogers, uh, yeah. to, to, to pick apart every time that they shook hands. Cause there are multiple times right. uh, throughout the run of episodes, including this on the street. Of course. I, I think it was more that, that David Newell, uh, Mr. McFeely wanted to, to shake hands with him as a way to kind of, uh, you know, you know, thanks for the good work. Thanks for the, mm-hmm, sure. for the run. But I think, I don't think he said, and before I do that, I'm going to go back and check everything we've recorded right. and see if we've ever done this. <laughs> no. I don't think there was like a no handshaking and embargo amongst the two of them. <laughs> no. For the rest of the- no. Just happens to be that way. Right. But- but before we uh, run into Mr. McFeely, we see him stopping, saying hello to a few people walking by, including a boy and his mom. Then he helps a woman walking out of the grocery store with her bags. We're later introduced to her as Mrs. Hamilton, but I recognized her almost mm-hmm. immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's played by Francis Bay. Yep. Guy, who is Francis Bay? Well, now Francis Bay had a wonderful career later in life, and she's uh, probably most famous for playing Adam Sandler's grandmother. Yes, on Happy Gilmore. It's Happy Gilmore's grandma, everyone. <laughs> or you may also recognize her as Fonzie's grandmother on Happy Days. Yeah, she did a lot of like character grandma parts. She was the old woman with the dog next to the pool and the Karate Kid. Oh, that's oh, right. Wow. Yes. What a hat trick. (laughs) We also pass by some more familiar faces. Betty Aberlin is here carrying a large plant. 
and Francois Clemens is sitting at an outdoor cafe table. He appears to be drinking a beer. Yeah, it looked like that at first. And then uh, it's a root beer float. But oh, for the okay. first shot, it looks like that because of how he's holding it. But yeah. then once he sets it down, you can see the shape of the glass is that, you know, where it comes all the way, tapers to the bottom and it's, then fans out. But I did. I was like, well, he's having a beer. It looks like a nice warm day. He's sitting back having a beer. <laughs> yeah. I also noticed uh, when, when Frances Bay is losing her groceries, Fred goes to help her and he comes very close to pulling her skirt up. If you want. Oh, no. <laughs> Because she's she's fumbling with these groceries and uh, and he kind of scoops down real low to grab them and I was like oh he's like three inches off which would have made it a different special yeah, sure would have I'm glad that was the take they got <laughs> so after we meet all those folks we arrive at what Mister Rogers refers to as his television house it's not where he lives it's where he works. Yeah, I always loved that he did this on the show, that it was and it's spelled out very clearly in this special that this is not, you know, he, he that where you're watching a TV show and he is putting on a television show for you. Right. It's where he works, not where he lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is probably one of the very few times he enters and is not singing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few times over the years where he does an intro and and stays on the porch and then goes in later and okay, you know, but I mean, those are very few and far between. So yeah, this is definitely a a, a very rare occurrence. So he changes into a festive green sweater. Yes, we did get close to a Christmas sweater. Like when he reached in there, I was like, <laughs> so could, close. Could it be? I saw a green sweater. I saw a red sweater. I was like, does he have one that's half and half? Maybe that he's going to wear for today, but no. Not this time. Uh, then he opens the box that uh, Mr. McFeely gave him. And the McFeelys helpfully wrapped the lid separately so we wouldn't have to spend precious TV time <laughs> unwrapping it. Yes. I've mentioned this before, but not by name. But TV Tropes calls this the Hollywood gift wrap. Yeah, that is definitely a Christmas special thing. You know, the, the gift wrapped box. So you just lift it open. We have no time to waste. Now, I, let me say this. So he, he pulls out these, uh, these Sperry topsider shoes. Uh, and he, and he says that his old shoes are worn out. They both, I mean, the worn out shoes didn't look that worn out. Like, I mean, if that's when he's done with a pair of shoes, I mean, I'm not the same. My shoes, they, you know, the tongue has to fall off. The oh, laces yeah. have to, but the new shoes also look suspiciously worn to me. They look like they had, <laughs> they had spent a few days on the studio set. Am I the only one that felt this way? It might've been the copy that I was looking at the older cameras, but that's how they look to me. They did not look fresh and brand new. Was Mr. McFeely pawning off some regifted shoes? <laughs> I mean, he even mentions having peeked at Fred's shoes. Did he literally just say, hey, this guy's got several pairs of these? He won't even know. Yeah. Hey, you left these in my house. <laughs> yeah. Just giving them back to you. They happen to be in better shape than the ones he was wearing. <laughs> he was outside in those. And they look just like the old ones, too. Yes. Except for, yeah, one one's a little more worn. Right. They're they're the same brand. And he's like, ooh, they fit nice. And I'm like, yeah, they're the same shoes. They are. They're literally identical. You know what? I'm at that point in my life as well that I just order the same exact pair yeah. of Chuck Taylors all in black every time because I know it goes with everything I own. Well, you look at, at, you know, people known for their shoes, though. You know, Michael Jordan had had his Jordans. I'm sure he wore a new a new pair. Every game, 
Right. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. so Mr. Rogers in this sense, and that same vein is, <laughs> is known for his sneakers. Um, right. Maybe, maybe he just needs a new pair and he, he wears them out a little faster. Um, yeah. After a week of episodes. Yeah. He's just like, I'm, I'm the goat. I got to have new kicks every time I get out on set. That's right. Yeah. Every one of these specials through the late seventies, he has one pair of sneakers for each. These are the Christmas time sneakers. They're somewhere. They're in. They're in some sort of museum somewhere. Didn't catch them when I went uh, to the Smithsonian this summer, but the sweater's there. Also in the box is a Christmas card from Mister and Missus McFeely with a black and white photo of the couple. Mm-hmm. They signed it with their first names. Merry Christmas, Fred, from Betsy and David. I I love how Betsy looks like a cosplayer at a convention playing Mother Bates. There's, it's so. <laughs> what's funny about Mr. McFeely is he was playing this much older character, and then mm-hmm. he. Uh, and what was interesting to me was years later I hadn't noticed he had been playing this older character. So when I saw him many many years later on television, I was like, "How does this guy not age? Um, <laughs> you look great." His makeup, though, is pretty good, but I feel like Betty, I don't know. I feel like they didn't try as hard with her. She she definitely looks, to me, like a woman that's in her like mid-20s pretending to be an old lady in this shot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see her a little later, and it'll be more apparent. No, you know who she reminded me of uh, in, the, in the video for Elmo and Patsy's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? <laughs> that's what I... <laughs> That's what I, that's the oh, you're not wrong. Oh, well done. <laughs> uh, but then Mr. Rogers turns to the camera and says he's been thinking about what he'd like to give us, the viewers, for Christmas. I'd really like to give you something that just fits your own wishes and needs. The way these shoes just fit me. I suppose the thing I'd like most to be able to give you is hope. Hope that through your own doing and your own living with others, you'll be able to find what best fits for you in this life. That's really deep right out of the gate here. Thank you, Fred. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. If, if you're if you're not going to get good sneaker sentiment from Mr. Rogers, who would you ever get it from? That's right. But for now, he says he can give us this hour of television and hopes we'll feel very welcome. And suddenly, we hear and see a group of kids singing carols at his window. We wish you and because I'm a very particular sort of nerd, my train of thought went straight to, hey, wait a minute, that's the back window of his house. Why'd the kids go to that one? The real reason, of course, is that's the best camera angle, but I found it funny to think when I thought back to the model of the neighborhood and zooming into this house, there's nothing behind there but some trees and a mountain, and that's where these kids are, hoping to catch a glimpse of him and sing carols. Not the porch. Yeah, I think that's the only time, I think that's the only time I can remember that anybody has ever been outside that window. Wow, on, really? On a broadcast. I don't remember any other time that there was somebody outside that window. I may be wrong there, but I I was trying to think if I had ever seen any other episode where there was something going on outside that window. And that's mm-hmm. the only time I ever remember seeing that. Can I back up just real quick? You sure can. That, you, that, that we, that we kind of glossed over, I feel like. The, the intro where... When Fred's talking about, you know, what he wants to give people for for Christmas and he, you know, mentions the, you know, a wish, you know, like like his shoes fitting and all of that. I think that whole segment right there, and this is going to get deep and philosophical right out the gate for us here, I think. But um, 
but I feel like that quote right there is just one more of the the many examples of him just being way ahead of his time. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a time, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, the 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 scene with him and Francois Clemens sharing the 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 waiting pool and mm-hmm. um, you know, just the what was going on in our our culture at that time. But if you if you go through that entire quote from kind of that opening segment where where he goes on after the you know he says the way the shoes fit me i suppose the thing i'd like most to be able to give you is hope hope that through your own doing and your own living with others you'll be able to find what best fits for you in this life and i think that that perspective wasn't a common perspective you know in the late 70s early 80s it was you know it wasn't a, a society that was that was excited about you know what you do what you're comfortable with and you do what makes you happy and you do um, you know, whatever your, whatever you feel like as a person, as an individual and express yourself that way, it was like, there was the American way. And there was, yeah. you know, this, this like stereotype that I think, um, you know, Christmas specials seem to follow. And this was like a step ahead to where it was, you know, viewers being encouraged to just do whatever they're comfortable with. This is a, a, a Christmas time with Mr. Rogers special. But, you know, and we'll, we'll probably get to this later, but there's other examples in this in this special where he 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 clearly is like, hey, this is a Christmas time special. But if that's not what you celebrate, cool. Or if you don't celebrate this or anything else at this time of year, that's cool, too. You know, he doesn't obviously you know say it in, in those words, but I think that's a great intro for this whole special. Again, as bizarre as some of this stuff gets in this special, there's a few out a few takeaways, I think, from from the things that he has to say that are just very profound. And I think that's one of them. Yeah, I did notice that he comes back around to that. And we will get to that. Um, well, Mike, I, I want to mention uh, Sherry Lewis did two specials for Jewish holidays. She did a Passover yes, did. one and a Hanukkah one. And there's a line in her special that I always remember, which is she's inviting Pat Morita <laughs> yep. to come to her, I believe her Passover Seder. Uh, or maybe her Hanukkah. It was party, Hanukkah. He way. was definitely uh, in the Hanukkah yeah. one. I haven't watched the Passover one. Well, yeah, he's only in one, but you, oh, we, sh- we need to see both. Um, but, um, she says, uh, do you want to come to this, uh, this Hanukkah? And he said, well, I'm not Jewish. And she goes, well, you go to birthday parties when it's not your birthday, don't you? And I mm-hmm. thought, what a great way to, to introduce somebody else to go to your holiday. I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah, that is cool. And it's the same sort of sentiment here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mr. Rogers, thanks to the carolers. And the kids say they'll see him at the get together later. So we're going to a party later. That'll be fun. Yeah, they weirdly say get together like they were trying to copyright it. I mean, they mentioned they're <laughs> yeah. like very specific. They're like, you come into the get together. Yes, I will be at the get together. I'm going right now, stopping by the get together. I'm getting ready for the get together. It's all get together. Yep. And we're going to hear that. Well, more than you just said, it's certainly so. Yes. That's what this thing is being called. Yeah, I I thought that was an interesting choice of words too. Just it seems a little awkward, you know. Just a not a celebration, not a not a party, not it, it's it's a get together. Yeah, not a party. We're not feeding you. That's what that means. <laughs> Come say hi. We're gonna we're gonna sing some songs and do some some theater stuff, but we're not feeding you. But I kind of was hoping for somebody that was maybe a little more clumsy with their dialogue, like Chef Brockett, to be like, well, we're all getting together at the get, get, get together. <laughs> I just was hoping we'd get, because uh, it just seems so weird and awkward, the, the get together. But hey, maybe that's what we should all do from now on. No more parties. Just no say, more hey, parties. Come, to, yeah. come on over. Get together. Yep. 
So next, the phone rings and it's Mrs. McFeely calling to ask how the shoes fit and also to let Mr. Rogers know that Mr. McFeely will be stopping by soon. Yeah. Uh, so he puts the card they gave him on his table with the other Christmas cards he's received. It actually looks like there's a bunch of the wall, too. But he looks through them for a minute as he remembers some other people who have visited him over the years. And we get a quick montage of some of the show's famous guests. Right. But I think it's implied that they all sent him Christmas cards, right? Is that uh, the implication you got? Was I that, hope you know, so. Captain Kangaroo. And yeah. that those are the people he got the cards from. Yeah, that's what I want. That uh, The ones on the wall are the ones in this montage, maybe. that's Yeah, and I hope Captain Kangaroo's card fell from his ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> we can only be so lucky. Yeah, Captain Kangaroo's one I recognized. I recognized Julia Child, Marcel Marceau, Ella Jenkins, and Rita Moreno. Those are the only ones I recognized at first. I had to look up the rest. Okay. But we also see pianist Van Clyburn. Opera singer John Reardon, who was on the show a number of times. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was John Reardon, I think, uh, as a child, was the most, um, what do they call that when somebody polarizing uh, appearance <laughs> on Mr. Rogers? <laughs> I think Tim will probably agree. A lot of people would love him, and a lot of people would be like, well, I yeah. guess I'm watching something else right now because they're doing <laughs> yeah. an opera. Yeah. Guy and I have had this conversation before where I remember as a kid, I, would tune in, and if if I yeah. saw John Reardon, I thought, oh, it's an opera. <laughs> it was the same way. I was like, oh, goodness, we're doing that. I remember Ooh. one, and I was just, I remember, because I was very young. I was still in the target audience, and, and John Reardon and the opera's happening, and it's about Daniel's striped tiger wanting to meet his granddad. Is And I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, it definitely would take a weird turn when they did those operas, <laughs> but watching them now, they are brilliant to watch. Oh, and, yeah. and I think they're a lot of fun. I know one of the things that I had always heard Mr. Rogers did um, was that it, it ran twice. And, and his desire for that was that it would run in the daytime. The kids would watch it maybe by themselves, maybe with mom. And then it would run again in the evening. And the idea was dad would come from from work and he'd rewatch that episode. Oh. He'd watch it for the first time, but the kid would get to see it twice. Which would mean that the kid would be one step ahead of dad and be able to say, oh, they're going to do this and they're going to do that, which he felt was a good, positive way to not only reinforce things, but to give kids this ability to, you know, know something that dad doesn't know and teach something to their parent, which was kind of a fun little way to encourage, you know, their imagination. Wow, that is brilliant. I like that idea a lot. Uh, we also see cartoonist Maury Turner, who drew comic strip We Pals. And twin Ooh. basketball players Gary and Barry Nelson. Wow. No idea who they are outside of that episode in this clip in this special, but they were on a, an episode um in the neighborhood of Make Believe. I think I think they showed up at the house as well. They were basketball players from, if I remember right, from Duquesne University. Okay. If yeah. I remember right. But uh yeah, identical twins. And I I don't remember exactly how tall they were, but they were pretty big. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they looked several heads taller than Fred. Well, after that series of clips, there's a knock on the door, and it's Mr. McFeely on schedule as always. And Mr. Rogers had to ask how he knew his shoe size, and here's where he says, well, I took a peek one time when Mr. Rogers left his shoe out on the porch. 
Yeah, and we're we got a lot. It's a McFeely heavy open here. We're just, you know, we're all <laughs> like, I mean, this is like somebody that gives you a gift, then follows up multiple times. You're like, all right, you gave <laughs> yeah. me the it, you it's the same shoes I always wear. There should not be much need for follow-up here. Right. Or it's the person that sends you an email and then walks down the hall 30 seconds later and says, Hey, did you get my email? Well, I'm sorry <laughs> about that, Tim. Uh, <laughs> So Mr. McFeely says he's on his way to the theater to rehearse for this get together. So get this together. Is, yeah, well, and it's also a show. This is where we find that out. Of course, it's a show. It's a bunch of friends who work on a TV show. They're going to do theater stuff. That's right. So he mentions one little girl at rehearsal named Stephanie who needs a pair of tights. Mr. McFeely has with him to deliver to her. He also yeah. mentions Stephanie's feeling a little disappointed because her family's having some car trouble and may not be able to see her perform at the get together. And there's Chekhov's broken down car. That's right. I mean, this is, yeah, this sounds like they'll never get there. There's like no chance of getting there. Well, you stay tuned if you haven't seen to find out if they will get there and what miracle it would take. I mean, is this Mr. Brady popping out of a collapsed building level of miracle or not? (laughs) You'll have to wait to the end to find out. (laughs) Well, I got to do that one, too. Mm Mm-hmm. But but upon hearing that, Mr. Rogers decides to go with him to the theater and Mr. McFeely immediately puts him to work by asking him to hold on to one of his packages. Uh, Mike, let's be clear. He does not ask him. He tells him. He says, this is your first assignment. There is no. That's right. I watching it. I was like, if I'm because I just for some weird reason, despite the fact that I'm watching clearly a television show that even told me it's a television show in my headspace, I'd be like, well, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't take this. I don't work for your company. What if she's not there? I, you know, maybe you should deliver this on your own. I'm just going to visit. I'll tell her the tights are coming. It just to me, it feels like he's putting a lot on Fred here. This is, uh, you know, I mean, Fred is not a licensed courier. He might drop this thing. He might forget about it. I think that's a federal offense, you know, to, uh, you know, for mail to to change hands outside of who it belongs to. Right. Well, is the speedy delivery service a, a private company? Is it like a UPS? This is true. I, I would. That's true. That's true. I'm a little baffled by what the speedy delivery company does. They seem to only have one guy working for them, uh, and they seem to only deliver to one neighborhood. Don't correct me, Tim. I know I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I I think Chuck Aber was an employee initially of speedy delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, we fade to the theater now where we meet Stephanie, who's practicing a dance she'll be doing later at this get together. She is simply credited as Stephanie as herself. And I'm I'm super intrigued by this. I, I I've always wondered. I, I had this thought this morning, Mike. That was like, what if I get on this this conversation, and it says like Mike, Tim, guy, and a box pops up and it <laughs> oh, says Stephanie. I wish. <laughs> like, who is Stephanie? I I have I've looked. I wouldn't say I've looked extensively, but I've I've spent some time trying to figure out who Stephanie is because. Guy, if you know, I would no, love- No, I do not know, but now okay. I'm, this is my new goal. So I will, <laughs> I'm going to work on this. Yeah, I, I would love to know who Stephanie is. Was this like a, a family friend of the Rogers family that, that was like, yeah, I'd love to be on the special. Just don't use my name. Or was this like a parental decision? Was this like a stage name? You know, like Shakira, uh, <laughs> you know- yeah, I don't know how popular Stephanie was in the 70s. <laughs> it, it was super popular in the 80s, but 
I found, uh, and maybe this is just me, but she seemed older than I expected. Like as I was watching it, I expected it to be a much younger child. And then as the episode goes on, the way she acts also implies to me that at least from the standpoint of the screenwriters, that this felt like a younger child than this was. Yeah, I did. Like it's certainly as I'm watching this. She definitely seems to be acting younger than she really is. My guess would be that she's at least 15, 16 years old, the actress. Yeah, she seemed like the age that she's like, oh, mom and dad aren't coming. Awesome. You know, I mean, that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what. But I don't know. You all know Stephanie. I mean, you know how she is. That's right. Yeah. No, this definitely seems like a parental decision, maybe, that uh, that let's let's credit Stephanie just one name as herself. Another kid in this special is credited. Most of the other kids in this special get names in the credits, actually. First mm -hmm. and last name, but not Stephanie. So that's very puzzling. But here she is dancing while the other performers are singing a Christmas carol. I don't hear too often, but it's the Friendly Beasts. Thus every beast by song would spell. Yeah, I, it's not one I was familiar with. I was familiar with it just because... I've never heard it like live. I've never heard it in a church setting. I think I've only heard it like covers of it that you hear on random Christmas albums or Christmas songs that I would find Sufjan Stevens covers it, things like that. But this was mostly foreign to me. Yeah, I, I had never heard There's a couple of songs or several songs on this special that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming are traditional for lack of a better term um yeah but yeah completely unfamiliar with some of these songs okay mm -hmm. uh, but the singers here include betty aberlin and francois we saw those two earlier uh, a couple of others including stanley clay that's his real name stanley bennett clay is how he goes now but he has a bunch of small acting roles through the 70s including an episode of mash as just a driver he's also a writer and director uh, he won an NAACP Image Award winning play that he wrote called Ritual and a 2012 documentary about black gay men dealing with depression called You Are Not Alone. Hmm. And he's also done a lot of ADR voiceover work. That stands for automated dialogue replacement. That's when you add or fix dialogue and post. And he can be heard doing that in films like I, Robot and All the President's Men. Oh, interesting. Also seen here playing piano on camera is Johnny Costa, the show's music director. Oh, yes. And he shows up you know, a handful of times over the years, but I think it's always always cool to see the music that was played live being played live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will say as a complete side note, but Tim and I once did a podcast where for the entire podcast, I referred to him as Bob Costas, and Tim <laughs> did not know... <laughs> Tim and I did not notice until he went to edit it. And I was like, well, just call, we'll just, we'll do it again. And you were like, no, I'll cut around it and it'll just sound like garbage. And <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that at all, but that's hilarious. I would have kept it in and done like a little, like a tone after each one. Yeah. It's like keeping a tally. Yeah. I, I blame Tim in no way for this. This is a hundred percent my fault. But I, to this day, every time I see that man or watch an episode of Mr. Rogers, it's all I think about. <laughs> Bob Costas. Bob Costas playing the piano. But Stephanie interrupts the song asking if they can stop because she doesn't really feel like dancing right now. Yeah. And the adults agree now's a good time to take a break. 
And now is a good time because in walk Mr. Rogers and Mr. McFeely with a speedy delivery to give Stephanie her tights. And then Mr. McFeely's on his way. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Mr. Rogers tells Stephanie he heard about her family being stuck on the road and how disappointed she must feel. It's just that I practiced so hard for this dance, and I really wanted Mom, Dad, and Andrew to be here to see it. And she's doing it so well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Man, she must have been she must have been an only child, because I got to tell you, I had a bunch of brothers and sisters, and this was like, I mean, that stuff happened. It feels like for this girl, she's <laughs> never, the parents have never, and why didn't they, uh, all right, go on. I'm, I just feel like <laughs> this is a. How dare your car break down? <laughs> But then uh, Francois here mentions that reminds him of a dream he had where his traveling choir's bus broke down. Yeah. This... And all the kids in the choir lost their voices. Yeah, I must say, Francois in his dream is ruder than he ever is in person. <laughs> yes, He's just he like, is. I quit. <laughs> and the kids all look terrified. They're like, we're so sorry. And I think they thought he was going to get out and leave them there. Right. That's, I'm sure they thought that too. It sure looked like it on their faces. <laughs> Uh, he also tells Stanley, he calls him Stan, he says, you were in my dream too. Well, someone like you. And as he continues to tell the story, we fade into this dream. And that's where he he, he shouts, I quit. Right as his, his bus breaks down in the middle of nowhere, by the way. Yeah. Oh, as, as nowhere as you can get. Not like what we think, oh, it's the middle of nowhere. It's some small, no, it's like literally nowhere. No, they're in front of some sort of factory or something that looks abandoned. Yes. <laughs> but uh, the bus breaks down. The choir's name is painted on the side of the bus. They're called mm-hmm. the OK Corral, which is a great pun. They're just OK. But less than OK now that their voices are gone. <laughs> this is where it gets weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Buckle up, everyone. Right. Yeah, I will say, like, as I was rewatching it up until this point, I was like, I'm really this is better than I remember this. I'm really <laughs> enjoying this. <laughs> No, here's where we hear some eerie background music for a second or two to let us know, hey, everyone, things are about to get really weird. (laughs) And then on top of one of the towers of this industrial complex, we see the someone like Stan Francois was talking about. It's Stanley Clay playing a man in a very interesting looking patchwork suit, jacket and pants. I love this suit. Yeah, it it is very cool looking, and it definitely is of its time. Oh, yeah. It's a very 1977 suit. I could not pull off this suit, but it looks great on Stanley Clay. I wonder, what does this, if you interpreted dreams, what does this mean about how Francois sees Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what anything in this dream means. That's what I was going to say was not only that, but what does any of this mean in this dream? Yeah, like this, if this was a different type of show, halfway through this, somebody should interrupt Francois and be like, excuse me, why are you telling us this? Yeah. But we see this figure at the top of this tower, and then he suddenly disappears, and he reappears several times on different levels of this yeah. of this tower going down with a big grin on his face as he strums his walking stick like a guitar. And we hear the guitar chord as he does it. And at first, I think nothing of it. I think, oh, it's just part of the soundtrack. But then Francois asks the kids, who took the guitar out? 
Yeah. Angry Francois. Again, Francois is like, so then I angrily scolded the kids for taking the guitar out, but they didn't. I mean, you have to only imagine that since we're, we're seeing the dream, he's telling it exactly the way we're seeing it. So he's like, I was really mad at those kids <laughs> with, with their lack of voice. He's only that angry in his dreams. Only dream Francois yells at the kids. <laughs> He opens the guitar case to find his guitar still in there, so now everyone is really confused until this mysterious disappearing man who looks like Stan now appears on top of the bus. Mm -hmm. So, the character is simply called the Music Man in the credits. He never calls himself that, it's just how it shows up later. Uh, and he explains it's not a guitar they heard, and he shows them his magic walking stick and says it's a musical stick. And he starts to play it like various instruments, including a flute and a banjo and a harp. And then he offers to entertain the kids while Francois fixes the bus. Yeah. And I would think if you meet a magic man, you say, no, you fix the bus. <laughs> <laughs> that That is a valid point. That is a valid point. They could have been out of there. Oh, they, this. <laughs> they could have been out of there. We could have had a half hour special, but Seriously. no. <laughs> So he tells the kids they're all going to play together. But one of the kids who remember, they've all lost their voices in this dream. All eight of these kids have hoarse voices at the same time, because I guess mean dream Francois made them practice too much. <laughs> these kids whisper to him they don't have anything to play. And he tells them, sure you do. You have your hands. And they clap along and begin dancing around to another very obscure Christmas song of, as far as I'm concerned. It's more of a Christmas hymn called Rise Up, Shepherd, and Follow. There's a star in the east on Christmas morn. There's a star in the east on Christmas morn. Rise up, shepherds, and follow. It'll lead to the place where the Savior's born. Rise up, shepherds, and follow. Yeah, this this definitely feels like, I mean, maybe the other one, too. I'm, I'm sure, of course, he would have input in it. But this one felt like something that Fred Rogers would want in this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel the same way where it, if it's a holiday special, you're going to, that you're trying to share with kids, you're going to try and do some things that the kids recognize to draw in the, the, the television audience. And I feel like the, the, the choice of songs so far, other than the the carolers outside the the secret window in the back, um, you know, the rise up shepherds. Like, what what kid is like sweet? That's my favorite Christmas song. You know, like <laughs> it's it's just a very interesting choice. So, guy, I totally agree with you, guy. That this yeah. is something that I think Fred pointedly put in there because he felt like it was important. Yeah, right. yeah. It's a traditional African American spiritual, but I like it a lot. I I kind of want to hear it more often after I heard it here. Mm -hmm. But after that, the music man starts miming like he's tossing something to each kid. And as they catch their invisible something, we hear their handbells. They're playing invisible handbells. Mm. I like to imagine on another plane of existence, these same kids are the ones playing the Hershey's Kisses handbells in that commercial. <laughs> <laughs> same scene, different planes of reality. That is that is one of my favorite Christmas things of oh, all, yeah. though, is those little bells with the Hershey, you know, the Hershey Kisses playing like bells. Man. So upon hearing the kids play these bells, Francois realizes that's the solution for his concert. So he has the kids form a line and play Silent Night with their invisible handbells while he sings along. 
but he's singing the harmony part. Oh, silent holy night when all is calm and bright. That deviates a bit from the actual lyrics. I don't think I've ever heard this exact harmony part that he's singing before now. Oh, interesting. Like, I'm sure it sounds beautiful with other singers, but by itself, it's more like, wait, what are you doing? You're like three notes behind. I think this is a good a good point to a good time to point out too that that Music Man, even though that's how he's credited, if you fast forward all these years later, I've, there's never been anything that's that's solidified this or verified this. But for anyone familiar with Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, yep, there's a character that looks strangely familiar that looks a whole lot like the Music Man from this Christmas special, and his Ooh. name is Music Man Stan, um, who happens to be the father of Miss Elena. Um, in the cartoons so very interesting yeah so there's never been anything that's verified that as a, a direct reference but i have a really hard time thinking that's all coincidental no i i mean i have not heard that before but uh that can't i that can't be a coincidence i did have that as a note that i'm going to bring up later but yes that's very good to point out i i did notice that as i'm kind of looking through and as i'm remembering the daniel tiger's neighborhood lore that i know just kind of flipping through well i'm flipping through the neighborhood archive actually because i'm trying to find notes for this and trying to figure out okay who's this character who's this person so that's when i connected those dots mm-hmm. so after that the music man offers to drive their bus he won't fix it he'll drive it though while uh francois works with the kids to put together their concert so off they go and that's the end of the dream sequence We fade back to the theater, to the actual Stan, telling Francois his dream just gave him an idea for something that he can do for the get-together, and he leaves. Tells the others he might end up running late, so start without him if that happens. Perhaps you've already figured out what he's going to do, and if you have, I just want you to know you're very clever, but let's not spoil it. No, here, let me just say, why didn't anyone else figure it out? That's what I want. Okay, now you go on. (laughs) (laughs) so stephanie asks mr rogers if she can go over to his place for a while i guess she really needs to just get away from the theater atmosphere for a bit to help her feel better which yeah i get that sometimes when you need a break you need to go somewhere else i don't know if i if i don't feel well and mr rogers is in the room i'm not leaving that seems like that's the uh, (laughs) that's the right place to be Well, that's why she's asking to go back with him. It's like, I need to get out of here, but I really would like you to come with me. (laughs) So they go back to the television house and Stephanie sits down next to Mr. Rogers, old pair of sneakers that he took off. And she asks, what are you going to do with this old pair? And he says he thinks he's going to use them for painting. And I thought, yeah, I absolutely have a pair of old shoes that look exactly like my newer pair of shoes that I only wear when I'm painting or working on something messy. Ah, Then he asks Stephanie a similar question about what she will do with her old tights. And she says she'll probably keep both pairs since she likes her old ones. But when she outgrows them, she'll either hand them down to a cousin or something or turn them into puppets. Ooh. And she demonstrates by making a little sock puppet out of her new tights. It's a tights puppet. And this tights puppet seems a bit grumpy. Uh, Merry Christmas, puppet. Merry Christmas yourself. You don't sound very merry. Well, I'm not, so there. Well, 
that everybody is merry at the holiday time. No, you can say that again. <laughs> Talks about how hard it is to wait for things. Not just waiting to know whether her family's okay or if they can see her perform, but also just waiting for things in general, for things like Christmas and waiting to get her braces taken off. And Mr. Rogers says he understands how Stephanie feels. He explains it was her parents' car that broke down, and it takes a while to find someone to fix it, and then a while after that to get it going again. Do we know at this point why Stephanie is not with her family? Nope. See, I don't, and I that's why I'm saying, what? why did they leave her in the first place? And, I mean, everything about this seems poorly thought out. Yeah, there's a lot of questions out there. Like, how, how did she get to the rehearsal for the get-together? I feel like maybe they were going out on a little day trip. They didn't want to come back, and they're talked into coming back. <laughs> I'm thinking this whole car trouble thing was just oh, in a dream. No. <laughs> I, I mean, she seems to be wanting to, to practice more for this get-together performance she's doing. She's worked really hard on it. It's something of a recital for her. I don't know if, if one of these adults that we see is a, is a dance instructor for her. But that's where my mind is kind of going. Hmm. Just a thought. No, that's a good <laughs> thought. But there's a knock on the door and it's Mrs. Hamilton from earlier. And if you're watching this and didn't recognize Francis Bay the first time, you probably did here. Yes. She's looking to borrow some eggs and Mr. Rogers says he might have one in the fridge, but Mrs. Hamilton needs six eggs to finish making her Christmas cake. And my reaction was you just went grocery shopping. Yeah, well, no. See, you you didn't pay attention, though. The oh. bag shook really hard, and Fred helped her get them back up, which is why all the eggs broke. That's why she needs eggs. Mm -hmm. Good catch. It wasn't that good of a catch. That's why the <laughs> eggs broke. <laughs> well, Mr. Rogers knows just what to do. When he needs some eggs in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Chef Brockett. So he picks up the phone which is on an interesting little piece of furniture that acts like a coffee table, but it's actually a cobbler's bench. Yes. Designed for making shoes. Cobbler would sit down on the round part on the end that while he's making the shoes, and it fits in so nicely with this 60s-era design of this living room. There was a long time where me and Tim talked about this bench and tried to figure <laughs> out what it was until we eventually did. And we would like share, like we, we spent a lot, just so you know, we spent a lot of time over analyzing the trolley pictures in the background, the curtains in the background and this cobbler's bench. God, was it you that was convinced that there was a hamburger? There was the a hamburger, but then it turned out to be a hat. But yes. And what happened was, so for a long time, we would talk about it because there is a hat in the curtain that looked like a hamburger. Uh, and then one day I got a Mr. Rogers book that had a very clear photograph of him in front of it. And then I could read it had old timey political messages, including a hat, which I guess was, you know, like, you know, how you'd get those straw hats for different oh, politicians. This yeah. It was yeah. more like a uh, uh, like a derby, I guess, uh, but it was a political hat. There, there's lots of old timey political expressions on those curtains, and and no hamburgers, no, no hamburgers. <laughs> well, oh, interesting. Got to go zoom in on that uh, on those curtains now. There, there were some rather nerdy phone calls in the past. I will just say, <laughs> hey, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why we do this. I love the nerdy conversations. 
So Mr. Rogers gives Mrs. Hamilton the phone to call Chef Brockett, and of course he has eggs. So she heads over there and tells Stephanie she'll pick her up later to go to the get-together. So I guess Stephanie is her ward at the moment. Mm-hmm. Once she leaves, Stephanie notes how much of a hurry Mrs. Hamilton was in, and she wishes she could hurry her family coming home. But she just has to wait. Which seems silly to us, but waiting is hard for a kid. Mm-hmm. Especially if you know they're having, if they're having car trouble, you know? So, so yeah. like if I'm a kid and I know my parents are stranded and my family is, is having car trouble and it's, it's wintertime, I'm, to me, there's a little more anxiety coursing through my veins than like, man, I really wish they would come home. Right. It's like, there's no mention of, are they safe? Are they? No. You know, I'm sure Stephanie is, is worried here. But she might, she might not know how to process those feelings. And, well, also, not having a last name, she could really just pick any other parents. So, Tim, you haven't really thought about it from that perspective. <laughs> or she could process it through dance, through artistic there expression. It is. Yep. <laughs> That's why she needs a break. She needs to think of a new dance to perform now. Well, don't have any parents to see this, so um, <laughs> this is an audition now. <laughs> Uh, so Mr. Rogers suggests they think of something to do while they're waiting. And almost immediately, Stephanie has the idea to make up a story. And she wants to make up a story about someone who makes things go right, like the music man in Mr. Clemens' dream. Yeah, she refers to him as that, as if that was his name. You know, she calls him the man who makes things go right or something along those terms. And I thought that would be how he'd be listed in the credits after that. That's really long to add in the credits. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have that kind of same brainwave. I'm just like, that would be a great way to all in caps, the man who makes things go right. Well, I mean, they, they call a party a get together. They like to be a little wordy. In <laughs> sure. There it is. In this neighborhood. So this is the point in the special where I, I have to think about the, everything that, that Fred did on his program was so calculated. It was so intentional. And even the most bizarre storylines that that may may have been part of the neighborhood of make-believe, you know, it was it was raining cereal in the neighborhood of make-believe in one in one episode. And you know what they had a an alien visitor to the neighborhood of make-believe named yeah. Yo-Yo Labelle. This is all all very bizarre, but it all tied together. And so when I see things like what we're about to talk about, my mind immediately goes to what what was the purpose of this? And to this day, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> because as I as I said earlier, this is where it starts to get weird. I think this is where it starts to get really weird. Oh, yeah. I, I only wish that uh, Mrs. Hamilton was making a marble rye. And I wish I had thought of that five <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> oh, dear. So, so Stephanie is now staring out of this back window and we see her imagine the music man, but unfortunately not in his amazing patchwork suit. She imagines him in blue jeans, white, red and blue jeans. And he instantly changes into a pair where one leg is red and one is blue. Mm. And this goes on for a bit as she imagines what this man is wearing. She imagines him wearing sneakers on his ears. Okay, that's too silly. Wear them on his feet. But he's also got one red sneaker and one blue sneaker, but the red sneakers on the foot of the blue pant leg. Always the sharp dresser, this man who makes things go right. Makes things go right, except for his wardrobe. Except for him. His wardrobe is very right, but only for him. (laughs) 
So now we're ready to start our story about how the music man can help Mrs. Hamilton get her eggs. And if you thought Francois's dreams was silly, mm-hmm. buckle up. Mm-hmm. We're now on an old farm, imagining Mrs. Hamilton as a farmer whose chickens have escaped her hen house. And the chickens are the same kids from the from the <laughs> other dream dressed in chicken costumes. Yes. And the music man is kind of walking up to this farm, just stands and grins as he watches Farmer Hamilton chase these chickens before she stops and asks him what he wants. And also asks if the stick he's holding is one of hers. And he smiles and says, no, but you can have one. And another stick appears in his empty hand. And Farmer Hamilton, dumbfounded, takes it. He shows her how to play the stick like a flute, and she does for a hot second before she stops and says, I didn't come here to play. No? No, I came here to complain. Oh, then go ahead and complain. She says she's in a hurry, trying to bake a cake, and her hens won't lay any eggs. So she starts singing a song about it while her chickens gang up and dance around her. This is a bonkers few minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important, too, to point out that these chicken costumes, if any, for those that may not have seen this special, we're not talking about, like, the San Diego chicken who might, you know, <laughs> it, you know it looks like some a lot of, of time and, and, you know, tender loving care was put into these costumes. What this reminds me of, and this may be a really poor comparison to make for a Mr. Rogers special, but there's a, a liquor store chain out of St. Louis <laughs> called Dirt Cheap Liquors. <laughs> and their their commercials are are this person in a chicken costume. It is like the cheapest, like the the cheapest costume you can imagine. And this chicken just continuously says cheap, cheap, fun, fun on the commercials, <laughs> right? And so all I can picture when I see these these children slash chickens dancing around is like four or five of these dirt cheap liquors uh, mascots from St. Louis. On this Mr. Rogers special far <laughs> earlier in in uh, the history of our pop culture <laughs> than, than Dirt Cheap Liquors existed. I just typed Dirt Cheap Liquors into my browser window. And before I even finished typing it, the favicon of the website is this chicken head. <laughs> so, yeah, oh. no, it, it's pretty similar to that. So the music man plays his stick like a banjo and then a piano And that seems to get the chickens to stop dancing and form a little chicken pyramid that suddenly turns into a Christmas tree with colored eggs hanging from it. Remember how this was a Christmas special? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This looks more like an Easter tree and those eggs look a little more like dinosaur eggs. (laughs) They've got colored spots on them, but... Farmer, they look like Yoshi eggs now that I'm saying that. I don't have that in my (laughs) Uh notes, but they look like Yoshi eggs. Yeah, they do. Uh, But Farmer Hamilton seems quite happy as she picks them off the tree, turns and asks the music man if these eggs happen to be hard-boiled, but he's gone. But why do you need hard-boiled eggs? You're baking a cake. Making a cake, right? She also realizes, oh no, my hens are gone because they just turned into this magic egg tree. But no, they have not Here they all come back in from off stage, and they dance around her again before going back into their hen house in an orderly fashion. As Mrs. Hamilton notices the stick from the music man is still there, 
So she thinks about playing it again before she shakes her head, gets back to work, and that's the end of Stephanie's story. But what a ride. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Rogers tells her that imagining ways to solve problems is often a great help. I don't know how any of that is going to help anyone's problem, but it sure was a fun ride. Stephanie adds, even if it doesn't really solve anything, it helps you to hope. And with that, Mrs. Hamilton returns, doesn't bother to knock this time, just lets herself in to pick up Stephanie, who asks Mr. Rogers to stop by her house before he goes to the get-together, and he says he will. in these cheap prices, would you? Cheap, cheap! Whether it's a party for two or 200, you will save money at Dirt Cheap. You just have to visit one of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations to believe these prices. Fun, fun! Have fun! Be careful out there! Hello, Christmas lovers and enthusiasts. If you're like me and you're always counting down the days until Christmas, I invite you to listen to Closer to Christmas. Think of the podcast as like a Christmas advent calendar. Each episode that comes out, we get a little bit closer to Christmas, and it's always a surprise as to what the Christmas-related topic will be for that episode. So search for Closer to Christmas on your favorite podcast platform of choice, or head over to anchor.fm slash closer to Christmas. Thanks, and I hope to see you there soon. And now that he's alone again with his television neighbors, he's got another wrapped gift he wants to show us. And it's a little red banner that says Merry Christmas on one side and Happy Hanukkah on the other. Ah, very nice. Yeah. He asks us if we know about Hanukkah and then from a drawer in his dresser there, he takes out a dreidel and he shows us each side of it, explaining that the letters on each side stand for A Great Miracle Occurred Here. And I need to make a small but important correction. It's actually a great miracle occurred there. There being the holy temple in Israel. The dreidel is correct. It has the correct letter on it. Uh, It's the letter Shin, which in Israel is often replaced by another letter, which stands for here instead of there. Well, but have they explained where the neighborhood of make-believe exists? Because perhaps it is the holy city of Israel. (laughs) And and we did just see a bunch of dancing chickens. So, you know, really anything is possible here. Yeah. (laughs) Very deep. I loved, I still do, but as a kid, that was, dreidels were my, one of my favorite things. I was, I, I grew up in an area with a lot of Jewish friends, a lot of, my neighborhood was, I would say was primarily Jewish when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Dreidels just were the coolest thing to me. I was like, wow, you guys have gambling involved in your holiday? <laughs> awesome. No, I think this is just another example, too, of kind of what I mentioned earlier, where it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood being so far ahead of its time. Yeah. To be as inclusive as possible for any potential viewers, you know, to make every kid that might be tuning into this special feel welcome watching this special. 
I feel like the push for this was around this time. I know uh, Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, mm-hmm. and Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was a year after this. Correct. And that features uh, them saying, Bob says, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, he says, Merry Christmas to Bob. And Bob says, Happy Hanukkah, Mr. Hooper, yep. I believe, mm-hmm. in the beginning of that special. Uh, around the middle of it. But yeah, that's that mm-hmm. was the earliest mention of Hanukkah in anything I've covered so yeah. far. And this beats and this, it by a year. Yeah. Wow. So Mr. Rogers spins the dreidel for us, explains it's part of the game. He even sings the song for us. He also tells us baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph were all Jewish and wonders whether they had a game like dreidel. Uh, well, they definitely did not have a dreidel back that far. Uh, the Hebrew dreidel evolved from a similar top called a teetotum, which was brought to Germany from Ireland or England. Hmm. But I'm sure they had some other game. Interesting. Well, Mr. Rogers transitions from talking about how there are lots of different kinds of presents in the world to having some of our own pretend time about presents in the neighborhood of make-believe. And you know what that means. It's time for my personal favorite moment of every episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's time to bring out Trolley. So Trolley takes us into the wall of the television house and out into the neighborhood of make-believe, where it is also time for gift-giving and decorating. King Friday the 13th's castle is adorned with gold garland and a tree with ribbons. I think that this section, I love the decorating. I yeah. feel that this feels very Christmassy, and I was I was very pleased when this part started. Yeah, no, it, I love the decorations here. They're they're subtle, but it's definitely, they did it up. Like, the castle looks great. Yeah, it's more than we've gotten so far. So it, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's more decorated here than, than even the get-together party. They have <laughs> a backdrop of some sort, but it looks like it's for some other show they're doing at some other time. Yeah. And outside the castle is Lady Aberlin, who has a present for Trolley, But Trolley's not allowed to open it yet because King Friday hasn't given the word. That's the rule in the neighborhood of make-believe. And it's literally a word the king decides every year that kicks off gift opening time. But it's not that time yet. And out he comes to ask Lady Aberlin to go around and make sure no presents have been opened yet. And I see what they're doing. They're showing that here, too, it's hard to have to wait. We're learning about patience. Mm-hmm. And no one in the neighborhood of Make Believe is having a tougher time waiting than the Madam of the Museum go round, Lady Elaine Fairchild. But I've never felt like this before at present giving time. Well, how is it that you feel? Oh, tired and worried, and just like anybody would feel who had only one present. Who's got a very large present she's been waiting to open, but she's annoyed that it's the only present she's gotten so far. And she's highly considering opening it before the king gives his word. Only the arrival of Mr. McFeely keeps her from doing so because she thinks, oh, see, some of these must be for me, but that doesn't appear to be the case. I really liked it when Mr. McFeely and a few of the other characters from from our world, from Mr. Rogers' television neighborhood, kind of cross over into the neighborhood of make-believe. Right. Mm -hmm. But some, like, are different characters. Like, I love that they make a distinction that Lady Aberlin is not Betty Aberlin. Yes. But Mr. McFeely is the same Mr. McFeely on either side of that wall. But it's the same 
the same concept as the carolers outside the window and the dancing chickens. That's right. (laughs) It's anything is possible in make believe and anything is possible in your dreams. And there's a fine line between the two. So Mr. McFeely's got a big bag of presents for each side of the neighborhood and a third bag that's not for any side of the neighborhood. That one is for Westwood, where we are told the platypus family is visiting Anna Platypus's grandparents. So no platypus family here, unfortunately. So uh, Lady Aberlin and also Handyman Negri is here. Offer to help Mr. McFeely deliver the presents around the neighborhood so he can get over to Westwood. Unfortunately for Lady Elaine, that means she has to continue waiting to even see whether she'll get anything else. So first we follow Handyman Negri as he quickly delivers presents to X the Owl and Henrietta Pussycat. Along with one for Corny. Cornflake especially is here in his rocket factory. This was my favorite building in the neighborhood of make-believe. Oh, yeah. Because of all the moving parts on the outside. Yes, it, indeed. It was very like uh, dollhouse you know, little tiny chairs. Everything about it uh, appealed to me as a kid as well. I remember seeing that in person for the first time a handful of years ago and just being blown away because I had never really paid much attention to what the factory was actually made out of the parts on the outside. It's just factory parts, right? Mechanical things. Mm -hmm. Right. And seeing it in person made me realize, I feel like when they were building that initially, they probably just looked around whatever room they were in and thought, let's find anything that looks like it could be mechanical and, and hammer it to this thing. Yes. (laughs) Wow. And literally hammered. (laughs) Yeah. It is, it's the most random collection of, of items that from from a camera perspective back, you know, from the television, it looks like, you know, mechanical pieces and things like that. Up up close, it might be, I don't even remember to tell you the truth, but it it could be uh, a, an empty uh, film spool. It could be right. you know, huh. a, a random gauge that somebody had, had fallen off of something else and somebody had just tacked to the, the factory. So, um yeah, I, I, I felt like that's a good example of um, how low budget this truly was from start to finish. <laughs> TV magic. Meanwhile, Lady Aberlin delivers three to Daniel Striped Tiger over at his clock house. All of the above note, they have now received multiple gifts. And Daniel in particular asks Lady Aberlin, Do you think I have too many? I think the people who gave them to you want you to have them. Why? I guess because they'd like a different way to tell you that they love you. And I like that they're showing both sides of this. You have Daniel, who's gotten a lot of gifts, and he's worried it might be too much. And then you have Lady Elaine, who's gotten one very large thing, but feels like she hasn't gotten enough. But it's also showing a third side, too, which is the the joy that people can feel from being generous and from giving. How How she points out that you have these multiple gifts Mm -hmm. that you were given by people who want you to have these. Yeah. And this is a thing I think that people don't think of a lot. And I, I, I always have a thing I say when, when I go out to eat with friends that if someone is treating, then everybody is happy because someone gets the, the joy of treating Mm -hmm. everybody and then everybody else gets the joy of being treated. But if you split the checkup, no one gets any joy whatsoever. Yeah. That's a great point. Man, I can't wait to go out to dinner with you, guy. (laughs) It's on me, Tim. (laughs) Hey, joy all around. That's right. 
So Lady Elaine's been keeping a tally of how many presents everyone has received, and this is making her even more upset, especially now that she has to wait for the king to give the word to open it. So she wryly asks, has the king ever given his word while standing on his head? And uh uh-oh, I know what's coming next. (laughs) Lady Elaine Fairchild has a little device called a boomerang toomerang sumerang which turns the entire neighborhood of make-believe literally upside down. So now we see her and Lady Aberlin and Handyman Negri hanging off the earth like a bat. Why are you hanging off the earth like a bat? And apparently being upside down renders everyone unable to open their presents for some reason. They'll fall into space, but... It appears not everyone has been flipped upside down. We have a visitor to the neighborhood of make-believe who's still very much right side up. It's the music man. There's somebody who isn't upside down. Well, I'll soon fix his wagon. Come over here, buster. You called? I sure did. And I'm going to turn you upside down. Well, thanks for the warning. (laughs) And this is where I want to be in Lady Elaine Fairchild's head for a minute. Where she feels like she has, she's gotten the best of everyone once again, you know, with her boomerang, tumerang, sumerang. But then it's like that, wait, what moment when she realizes that she's met her match. Yeah. Um, You know, this is like, there's so many comparisons you can draw here to, you know, classic movie scenes and all of that, where it's like, (laughs) you know, one person with a powerful weapon, but another person with an equally powerful weapon face it off for, you know, for the big duel. And I feel like that's what we have here with Lady Elaine Fairchild and, and the Music Man. It really is. <laughs> uh, he's wearing a fabulous looking half red, half blue coat and tights. <laughs> a little more, a little more make believeish, a little more regal here. So Lady Elaine calls him over, and with a boomerang, toomerang, sumerang, she flips the Music Man upside down as well. For about two seconds, because he strums his magic walking stick like a harp, and he's back right side up. And this goes back and forth a bit, like you were mentioning, Tim. Boomerang, toomerang, sumerang. Boomerang, toomerang, sumerang. Lady Elaine keeps trying to keep him upside down and furiously shouts boomerang, toomerang, sumerang (laughs) over and over and over. Like one time it's going to work, but the music man just keeps plucking his harp and reverting it. I love this whole part. Yeah, I do too. It's actually the music man who relents first and says he's fine either way. He doesn't care, but asks why the neighborhood's all upside down to begin with. And they explain Lady Elaine is upset because she only got one present. So the music man offers to give her a gift of his own. And that's all Lady Elaine needed to hear to turn the neighborhood right side up again. So now she wants this other present. But King Friday reminds her he hasn't given the word yet. But the music man explains some gifts don't have to be opened or wrapped. And he takes out this lace cloth. It looks like a table runner. Whatever it is, the camera zooms in and fades to a blur that fades back into... A figure skater dressed like Lady Elaine doing an ice skating performance. And what just happened? (laughs) So this immediately makes me think of the opening part we mentioned earlier, the opening part of Christmas Eve on Sesame Street with the ice skating. Yes. And and I I so badly want this to be one like 
one universe here where this is all taking place at the same holiday at the same time, oh, or wow. maybe in the same skating rink. The same get together. This is true. Will. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yes, I made that exact same connection where I think this is the same skating rink, or it sure looks like it, with the one spotlight on on the Lady Elaine figure skater. It's a completely dark skating rink, except for the single spotlight on her. She's even made up with the rosy cheeks in the same outfit. But did you notice the music playing in the background during this scene? I did not. I did not. It's the dreidel song. Ah, <laughs> because wow. she's spinning. She's spinning around. Yeah, I like this. I did not notice. That is pretty good. I didn't either. That's great. Yeah. But it's a slow version of the dreidel song in like in, in two thirds time. And wrong. If I had watched this as a kid, I probably would have felt that this was a lot more magical to me. I probably would have would have believed it more. Watching this in my 40s is just like, this is a weird costume this figure skater's wearing. <laughs> but it certainly felt magical to Lady Elaine, who enthusiastically thanks the Music Man. And this is where my note was about Music Man Stan. I'm like, you know, is this just a coincidence? <laughs> because Music Man Stan is married to Lady Elaine Fairchild in that show. Maybe this is what it took. Maybe she's just <laughs> smitten over his generosity. And yes. the product of that became Miss Elena. That's it. This is the origin story. I, I had never drawn that conclusion, Mike. That's fantastic. <laughs> but Lady Elaine does get a bit flirty here. She says she'd like to skate with someone else next time. And asks the music man what his name is, and he disappears. And I don't mean fades out. He just blinks out of existence. Mm -hmm. One frame he's there, to the next he's gone. Not ready to settle down just yet. Now, this is also the way that Purple Panda would travel as well, if you remember right, where he would just appear and disappear with a with a blink. So he's, you know, music man is traveling the purple way. Well, he's wearing red and blue, and they make purple. <laughs> It's all coming together. It's all. This is all making sense now. Wow. Well, in Purple Panda, appears he pops into frame right about here, actually. Just, hey, y'all, I exist. That was a present for everybody to enjoy. And right around here, King Friday finally decides it's time to give the word so everyone can open their presents. And the word is... Sloppery Doza Fanundapuk. Sloppery Doza Fanundapuk. <laughs> yes indeed that's a it's a fred rogers special there well and this is the point where <laughs> this is the point where i went to the credits because <laughs> in my mind as i said earlier everything in every minute of every episode of mr rogers neighborhood was done with a purpose Yes. <laughs> and you know, obviously, Fred was uh, the main writer behind this, and the the the, the brains behind it all, and, and he had a purpose for everything. And so, when King Friday shares the word, the word is not celebration. The word is not friendship. The word is not <laughs> any one of a billion possibilities here. Right? It's it's sloppery doza fanunda puck. <laughs> so on one hand, I'm like, that's that's clever, that's funny, that's whimsical. As we all know, you know, Fred Rogers had a very um whimsical sense of humor. Oh yeah. But I thought, why? Why like where did this come from? So 
in all honesty, I did. I scrolled straight to the the or uh, I, I went straight to the uh, the credits, and I saw that this was written by Fred Rogers and Barry Head. And I thought, Barry Head, what did you do to this special? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And so whether whether that was his influence or some of this, um, some of the questionable things, not questionable in a bad way, but just right interesting and bizarre how much of that may have been influenced from from barry head versus um fred rogers or maybe they both came together and had these ideas together barry head was actually he was a co-author of several um books that that fred rogers put out um for parents over the years around this time as well so okay it's a familiar name among among the neighborhood products i guess that were out there but still what was the influence of of barry head and how heavy was that influence because sloppery doza fanunda puck i i i need some answers there that's yeah well now you see the reason why i said it sounded very fred rogers is it just to me sounds boomerang tumerang sumerang silly you know which is yeah. why i immediately but i i do think you are right that was his big thing was he didn't like ad living didn't like you know wanted everything to be perfect and, mm-hmm. and very yeah. uh well thought out and and if you say that this seems like it was not written by him i i tend to believe that's probably true Oh, I, I don't necessarily think it was it was one or the other, but no, but I mean that line, yeah, yeah. I mean it very well could have yeah, yeah. been written by I, him. I don't I don't necessarily have anything concrete to say it wasn't, but no, no. But your your sense on this, I trust. That's what I'm. Oh saying. yeah. But at the same time, could I see the two of them sitting in in an office talking about the script? And Fred says the word sloppery doza fanunda puck, and they both giggle, write it down, and move on. I can see that happening just as well. I don't know. I can see them like taking two minutes to just giggle at that word for a bit <laughs> and then move on eventually. But but the king tells us sloppery doza fanundapuk means what a difference one person can make. Alluding to something that handyman Negri said right after the music man disappeared. Walking Friday says the word three more times and it's finally time to open presents and they all let Lady Elaine open her one big present first. And it's, I'm not sure what it is, but everyone else in the neighborhood of make-believe helped make it. It's a tall, rotating tower topped with a mirror from Lady Aberlin, a little wooden Christmas tree from Henrietta, a big silver crown from King Friday, a clock face from Daniel, a collage of all her neighbors by Handyman Negri, a big pink block at the base from Purple Panda, uh, which has her initials LEF supplied by X and two rocking chair runners at the bottom from Corny, of course. And my first thought is this is one of the coolest homemade gifts I've ever seen, and it doesn't even do anything. <laughs> I take that back. Lady Aberlin says she hopes every time Lady Elaine looks in that mirror at the top, she sees someone who makes a big difference in their neighborhood. So that's very sweet. Because, of course, what what difference one person can make? Slappery does a fanundipuck. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Lady Elaine is just touched and thanks all her friends with a big slappery does a fanundipuck of her own and tells everyone to oh, go open your presents. So we get to see what everyone else got. Corny got battery-operated lamp. I used to have that exact lamp. Just a little plastic thing. 
Uh, Henrietta got a wool knit hat. X got a framed portrait of his hero, Benjamin Franklin. Mm. That is mentioned throughout the series. He is mm-hmm. uh, he is an aficionado of Ben Franklin. Daniel got a little toy dump truck. We only see him open one of his things. King Friday got a big box to hold his long words like slappery doza fanundapuk. <laughs> Which, by the way, Google Docs didn't even bother to underline that in red here in my notes. It just gave up. <laughs> it, it probably went through Google Translate, I would guess, and just recognized that it, you know, the true meaning. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Google, too, was ahead of its time. <laughs> Or maybe Fred Rogers is just that far ahead of yeah, he is that far ahead of our time. If if Google is a thing that you use to open up different passageways to things, perhaps it could have been called slobbery dosery for Mundaplak. Could have been. I mean, I think it would have taken off just as much. A little tougher to type in there. So I'm glad <laughs> they stuck with Google. Well, and Trolley is here, and he's got, wait, it's the Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah banner Mr. Rogers showed us before he summoned Trolley. How does time work in the neighborhood of make-believe? That would be a question for Tim. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and as as when people ask why Daniel's clock doesn't have hands, because in, in make-believe, it can be any time you want it to be. Well, good point. And so along those same lines, it, it, time can work however you'd like it to work. Good enough of an answer for me. I like it. However it works, we now see the banner goes on top of Trolley, and Lady Aberlin attaches it as, as Trolley heads through the tunnel back to the television house, where Mr. Rogers tells us we can make up our own stories and words just like King Friday did and just like Stephanie did earlier and will again in a short time. But before that, here's where he tells us when he was a kid, he and his parents always celebrated Christmas, and now he does the same with his family. And he compares that to a friend of his whose family celebrated Hanukkah and another friend who doesn't celebrate anything because they don't believe in either of those holidays. But everyone gives presents at one time or another. Well, let me just say, though, he he does not say that they don't believe in anything. He said that they don't celebrate at that time of year. Right. Implying that it could, because there are other, uh, for example, Ramadan doesn't always fo- follow the same time of year. So it is not necessarily implied that they don't they don't celebrate anything, but but they don't celebrate that time of year, which I thought was interesting as well. That's right. Thank you. But I thought this whole part was great. Mr. Rogers out here in 1977 telling us, look, some of our friends believe and celebrate different things and some don't at all, but they're my friends and they're important. He very much says this as well on the episode with the Santa Claus suit. And I think it's a very good thing to say because I do remember as somebody that grew up in a a neighborhood that I think was at least 30 or 40 percent Jewish. It was weird to me. And you'd look around, you'd be like, well, that's weird. And I'm sure it was weird to the other kids. They, you know, they, you you know, Santa would ride in on a fire truck and, you know, was, <laughs> I remember it was a little strange. Yeah. But here he is uniting us all again by saying we all give presents at one time or another to show other people we love them. Yes. And as uh, and having Jewish neighbors was helpful because the Harwitzes used to let us borrow their camcorder on Christmas Day every year because they weren't using it. Oh, nice. Way to go, Horowitz. Yeah. Thank you. Kenny's probably listening. (laughs) Hey, all right. 
He also goes on to say there are all kinds of presents, like a song or a poem or a picture or a dance. And that reminds him he promised he'd go to Stephanie's before the get together. So off we go over there. Mm -hmm. Her family is still not home, but to take her mind off of it, she makes up another story about the music man or as she calls him, the person who makes things go right who this time finds himself traveling to a little mountain village where we meet Mrs. Hamilton again, or Francis Bay anyway, playing an old woman who tells the music man a boy from the village named Andrew, like her brother, went missing two days ago while tending his father's sheep. Yeah, we get kind of serious for a bit. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. do. Stephanie did mention this story involves sheep and shows Mr. Rogers a little lamb charm she wears on a necklace that her dad gave her for Christmas. And Stephanie's in this story. She sort of reimagined her whole family in this remote village. Uh, Her father is played by Baker Salisbury. This country is so harsh and rugged, full of caves and ravines. And if he's hurt... This is his only credit on IMDb, and I couldn't find anything else about him. Mm. Uh, Her mother is played by Veronica Byrne, I believe. Is he found? Have you found my boy? I'm sorry, I'm a stranger. Also her only credit, but I believe I found her. She worked as an acting coach and is now a mentor for an arts foundation and scholarship in New York City. Uh, So the music man offers to help Stephanie's father find Andrew and Stephanie wants to go as well. And her parents let her go. So they go searching around this wilderness. Do you have any idea where this part was taped? Ooh, I do not. I don't No, They're out in no man's land. It's a perfect setting for this story. Stephanie is telling, but Wow, it's the most remote location for a Mr. Rogers neighborhood shoot. And it reminded me of, did either of you see The Littlest Angel from 1969? Uh-uh. It does not. The title doesn't ring. The title like rings half of a bell, which is why. Uh, what? What? Give me just a little bit more info and I'll tell you if I have. Fred Gwynn is like, oh, the yes, head I've angel. seen this. Yes. yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No. So this is the one where they're they're wearing very much costumes like you would wear in a stage play. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a, I, I definitely have seen this. This was a special that pops up on a lot of the public domain collections of specials and in dollar stores and stuff. This was kind of a and it. I mean, when you put Grandpa Munster or not Grandpa uh, uh, Herman, <laughs> Herman Munster in, in anything, I want to see it. But I have seen this. Okay, so at the beginning of that, the titular littlest angel is a shepherd boy in a remote hilly area that looks a lot like this. Yeah. I won't go further in the detail because that counts as a Christmas special and I want to cover it some other time. Oh, sure. It is in my Christmas collection. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, But if you've seen it, you'll understand my feeling of worry when the music man points out one particular elevated rock. To look for Andrew. <laughs> it also has like Fred Rogers uh, set and everything has the same kind of vibe as that, where it's it's somewhat that movie I felt was very simple in its sets and everything. And yeah, it, it actually it's interesting you mentioned that with this. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. So, yeah, I guess I guess they're using the same sort of not budget, but the, yeah. but the same sort of philosophy of 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 set building. 
Right. Minimalist, less is more kind of, uh, I mean, again, very much, it very much felt like a, uh, like a stage production that you were watching that had been. Yeah. Filmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this part just happens to be shot on location, but I don't know what about the rock that the music man is pointing at that makes him go. That's where we must go. But they go up together and the music man starts playing his stick like a flute and tells Stephanie and her father to sing along to another rarely heard, as far as I'm concerned, Christmas hymn. This is one I'm not even familiar with beforehand. This one is called My Sheep Were Grazing. Ooh. My sheep were grazing on a plain when angels sang this glad refrain. Did either of you hear that before? No. Mm-mm. No. Uh, the Reverend Fred Rogers just digging out the rarities. But this moment does feel a lot, again, like Mr. Brady trapped in a collapsed building and the voice, <laughs> the voice bringing him out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the music man has Stephanie's father sing the next verse as loudly as he can at the top of this mountain. Oh, that's why they're up there. Because it's the highest point they can find. There right. This time he tells Stephanie to listen, and sure enough, we find Andrew hiding in a cave with a baby lamb, and he answers his father's echoing refrain. Alleluia. Alleluia. Joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy, joy. Andrew is played by Charles Oseas, who now goes by Chuck Oseas. He grew up to be a cinematographer and has shot music videos for the likes of Bone Thugs in Harmony, Nine Inch Nails, Carrie Underwood, Lil Jon, Keith Urban, Hmm. and Smash Mouth. Wow. Yeah. He's also worked on the series The Sex Lives of College Girls, The Revival of Arrested Development. Oh, wow. And a bunch of commercials uh, and the opening for Sunday Night Football. Hmm. That's quite a diverse list of credits. That is. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's great. Behind the camera, this is his sole acting credit on IMDb. All of his other credits are for behind the scenes stuff like this. Interesting. But again, I I point out it's weird that Charles Oseas, who plays Andrew, gets his full name in the credits and Stephanie is just Stephanie. Well, they find Andrew, who explains he heard the baby lamb crying, so he went to go after it, but he got lost. So they walk back to the village together, and we zoom in on the lamb and then back out on Stephanie's necklace with the lamb on it. And that's when Mrs. Hamilton comes to bring her to the Mm get-together. Stephanie asks if she really has to go, and Mr. Rogers points out there'll be a lot of disappointed people there if she didn't. And Stephanie relents, at least you both will be there. And that's enough to make her feel better. So we finally arrive at the get-together. We fade into a Christmas tree and everyone singing Joy to the World. Oh, I know that song. Yeah. There's also a menorah on stage. So there must have been a Hanukkah portion of this get-together performance. There's an audience. There are people sitting and, and watching people sing. So besides the people we've already mentioned, there are a few other faces here that we haven't seen before now. We've got several more kids, including Francois' choir and bell ringers. Mrs. McFeely is here again with her husband. Another familiar face for longtime watchers is Elsie Neal, who owns a craft shop in the neighborhood. 
Uh, Audrey Roth is here. I remembered mm. her face, but unfortunately, I don't remember a lot about Audrey. Oh, Audrey was Miss Polificate in yeah. the in the neighborhood of Make Believe. Oh, that's right. And then in the mid to late seventies, her mid seventies around then, she had um, a, a cleaning company. It was Audrey Cleans Everything. Audrey cleans everything. And she she was a neighborhood cleaning lady. Um, but she was a longtime, uh, longtime member of the neighborhood and in real life one of the sweetest people I have <laughs> ever had the opportunity to speak with. Yeah. Oh yeah. She you know, uh, if I can name drop for a second, if if you if I sure. <laughs> she and I kind of connected, um, uh, she's since passed away, but she she and I connected several years ago, um, just very briefly. And following that conversation, I would get random letters in the mail. I would get random cards from oh, from wow. Audrey Roth that were just like, hi, Tim, just, you know, checking in to say hello and hope you and your family are doing well. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. She is one of the sweetest, kindest people I, I've ever had the, the opportunity to know. Oh, wow. Well, while everyone is singing, Francois asks Betty Aberlin, if Stan has showed up, remember, he said he was going to go do something to help for the get together. And that thing was to go get Stephanie's family. And in they walk as Stephanie comes out in their dance outfit and runs to greet them. Stan really does make things go right. <laughs> Thanks to Francois's dream, anyway, that kind of kicked all this off. So Really, it's Francois with some kind of prophetic dream superpower that they never elaborate on again. Yes. Now that everyone's here, it's time for Stephanie to perform her dance to Francois and his choir of bell ringers performing the Friendly Beasts. Jesus, our brother, kind and good, was humbly born in a stable root, and the Friendly Beasts are and this is really a beautiful little show they put together for this. Yeah, it's sweet. It's a great way to, to sort of wrap things up towards the end here. Yeah, and everyone applauds as Mr. Rogers asks Mrs. Hamilton to tell Stephanie how proud he was of her. But he has to go. He does wait until the end of Stephanie's dance. But as everyone's applauding, he, he kind of sneaks out the back. Mm-hmm. Hey, he does a little Irish exit and gets out of it. He has to head back to the television house to collect his things and then join his own family, I guess. It is Christmas Eve, they say. And he says, our time together is almost up, but that's the way it is with everything. There's a beginning and there's an end. But what's important is all the memories in between. And he wishes us good memories of the holiday. And then he wraps up like we always do with it's, it's such, such a, a good, good feeling. Feeling. To know you're alive, it's such a happy feeling. You're growing inside, and when you wake right with a with a slight uh, one of the variations that they do on this because he's not saying he'll be back when the day is new or the week is no. new, uh, because this is a special, so it's slightly different lyrics. The feeling you know that we're friends. But yeah, same uh, same beautiful way to wrap up a show. Feeling you know that we're friends, and I do remember hearing that every once in a blue moon but mm -hmm. so i wasn't surprised so much as oh we're doing that yeah that makes sense and then he reminds us that one person can make a big difference he uses that word instead of the big long one <laughs> and you can just by being yourself and out he goes and that is it 
but what a ride. Well, let me just say, before we go any further. Oh. Um, so we had talked about Stephanie and wondered who she was. And I was able to find out about her. And uh, unfortunately, Stephanie Selby uh, passed away at the age of 56 wow. last year. Uh, and it wow. sounds like the later part of her life was not so great. Sounds like she dealt with uh, uh, a lot of depression and other issues. But like Fred says, the important part of people's lives is in the middle. And I just want to read a little bit from her uh uh, obituary, and she had quite a a uh, interesting life. Uh, there was a she was actually a very famous ballet dancer. It was Stephanie Selby who was the high profile subject of the book A Very Young Dancer, a book that inspired a generation of would be ballerinas and future dance stars who abruptly dropped out of the ba- ballet world had died. Now this was um, February of 2022. And it says here about her career, it says that in 1975, a photographer renowned for image of famous authors and for writing children's books took photos of her at this school and felt that they were so good that went on to make this entire book about her. It says a very young dancer, 1976, leapt into the New York Times children's bestseller list, fan mail poured in. And she appeared on the Today Show and a one-hour Mr. Rogers neighborhood Christmas special. Wow. There it is. Um, and you can find plenty of other photos of her on the internet from when she was very young in her ballet clothes. It sounds like she was uh, one heck of a ballet dancer and uh, uh, very interesting to to see her in this now, knowing knowing who she was. And, and interesting that she was only billed as Stephanie because she was somewhat of a famous person who did have a last name. Right. Yeah, wow, that just, the the plot thickens with that one, but, oh, I'm so glad you found her, Guy, well done. Yeah, I am too, and that's really interesting, you know, especially if she had a history as a as a dancer, you know, even, even prior to this special, it sounds like. She sure um, did, yes. You know, so that, that is surprising that she wasn't billed in the, in the credits with her full name, but still, that's very interesting. I'm glad we tied that up there. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Any final thoughts on Christmas time with Mr. Rogers? Well, I just think, you know, having having seen so much of, of Fred's catalog, if you will, this on one hand is very bizarre, very off the wall, very against the grain and different from what we're we're used to with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, like we were used to seeing from when we were growing up. But on the other hand, this is to me, as I've said a couple of times in this conversation, it's one of the best examples of him just being so forward thinking um, and it, uh, an evidence of his true self evidence of his um, welcoming and loving spirit uh, just the, in, in the way he lived his life. And, and I think that that's very evident in this as he, as he does everything he can to be inclusive of people who believe one way versus another Um people with different backgrounds, people with different um, situations. Um, maybe, you know, he, he, he touches on people who might get a lot of gifts and he touches on people who might get few or no gifts. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's very intentional. And I, I don't think that's by mistake because he knows that the people that might be watching may be getting a lot of gifts. It might also be children who are getting very little for Christmas, but he, he deals with that in, in such a, a, a creative, but subtle way. Yeah. 
to where until you sit back and and pick it apart with a fine tooth comb, you don't recognize that. But it's lessons that are being being learned by these young viewers in 1977 watching this um, that we can sit here and we can we can laugh at, at the different um, the things that seem kind of awkward or out of place and, and silly um, here in in 2023 um, as adults, but. But when it comes down to it, the core of this special is very welcoming and very open um, and, again, very forward thinking. And I, I just think he was so far ahead of his time when it came to that mindset of everyone. I mean, not to sound cliche since we're talking Mr. Rogers, but everyone is special. Yeah. And everyone is special because of exactly the unique person that they are. And so um, as bizarre as it is at times in this special, it has the same core values and same core message that he taught so many different ways over the years on his program. I uh, uh, had always wanted to see this once. Uh, I guess probably it was the Internet that I first read the title of it uh, and said, well, I'd love to see that. I, I'm a big Christmas special fan and a big Mr. Rogers fan. So I thought it'd be something else. Tim had had kind of done a write up on it, so I knew what I was getting into when I saw it. But it's still the overall lack of Christmas in this Christmas special really uh, surprised me when I watched it. That it just didn't even feel like Christmas uh, throughout much of it. Um, it's interesting. I would not, you know, I mean, compared to other episodes of the show, I this you know might go in the uh, you know the opera. Uh, section for me and not not one that i would revisit <laughs> too often again though there is an episode where uh, he gets a gets a santa suit and it's a it's a little it's too it's too big for him so he needs to find somebody large like chef brockett who can fill it out and uh <laughs> and that episode i do find feels more christmasy i like this this kind of just feels like I don't know. There needed to be another pass through on it to to kind of tighten it up, punch it up, make it a little bit more Christmassy. But I guess that's not what he was looking to do. And so he did what he wanted. And that was kind of uh, the trademark of Fred Rogers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know what I expected, but it sure wasn't everything that was in this special. But I liked it. I just found it fascinating in the same way that I described watching those operas just not sure what was going on, but fixated on every piece of it. And yeah, it seems almost trippy at times. But when you get down to it, one of the cores of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood is making up stories. And that's what we did here. And they may not have been overly festive as a Christmas special, but it was a fantastic Mr. Rogers special. And I'm so glad they put it online. I'm very happy people can watch this show. And I hope it stays up for a long time. I hope if people want to make it part of their Christmas viewing every year, or at least just this year, you really should look into watching this, y'all. Yeah. Uh, but thank you both for visiting my neighborhood today. This was a blast. Oh, man, it was so nice to talk to both of you. These are you're two of my favorite people, and this is two of my favorite things, Christmas and Mr. Rogers. So very nice to, to have all of that together today. Yeah, it's great to have a conversation like this as, as silly as it can be and as serious as it can be. Um, all of that together, just I'm, I'm always happy to talk about uh, Fred and his legacy with anyone. Thanks, y'all. Well, if people want to literally turn your world upside down because you didn't give them enough for Christmas, 
where can they find you on the internet, Guy? Well, uh, I do a daily YouTube show called Pointless Nostalgia. I travel, I go see things. I also uh, show off some of my really cool collection of retro stuff. So people should go check that out. Give me a subscribe. I would very much, it would be your Christmas present to me. And and I don't even have to say that long word that I've already forgot <laughs> from the neighborhood of make-believe. And Tim. Well, I got my toe in a lot of different things around the internet. Um, you can check out some of the, the weird uh, deep cut things I throw out there that I come up with. Um, on posters and buttons and stickers and all sorts of stuff at thirdquarterrun.com. Um, of course, all the Mr. Rogers stuff is at neighborhoodarchive.com. And you can find kind of everywhere I litter the internet by going to timlibarger.com. Perfect. Yes. Uh, if you just got a hit with a wave of Mr. Rogers nostalgia, go visit the Neighborhood Archive. It is a treasure trove of everything you can possibly find about the show and its history. But you know what, Mike? Yeah. At this time of year, one doesn't want to visit a website. They want to purchase, maybe purchase a hardback bound book about Mr. Rogers to, <laughs> to, sure. to wrap and put under people's Christmas trees. Tim, are there any you can recommend? You know, there's a lot of great <laughs> books out there about Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood, but there's one in particular that I'm especially fond of. Me too. Um, that's called Mr. Rogers Neighborhood of Visual History. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of hours put into such a a detailed book by um three co-authors that worked well together to put this together for those who remember the neighborhood. I would highly recommend it um from directly coming directly from one of those co-authors. Yes. Um we had a great time doing that book. And quite honestly, if you just want to trip down uh, memory lane and just remember some things that you haven't thought of when it comes to Mr. Rogers in a long time. This is a, a coffee table size book and uh, it's it's well worth your time. Go check out those links in the show notes of this episode. Go check out Guy's work. Go check out Tim's work. You can find those as well as wherever I'm hanging out online these days at adventcalendar.house. Thanks for listening, y'all. I will be back when the day is new. Well, actually, the day after, that's how this show works. But I'll be talking about another Christmas special that was essentially lost to time until very recently. Talk to y'all then. For now, from Tim Liebarger and Guy Hutchinson, from a dimly lit ice skating rink that vanished as quickly as it appeared, this is Mike Westfall saying sloppery doza fanundapuk. And as always, watch out for that icy patch. Good night, neighbor. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Everybody needs a song.